Hello and welcome to After the Story. I'm Chris. I'm Cameron, and we're going to be talking about Well of Ascension today, the second book in the Mistborn series. And Chris is going to come at you guys with a synopsis right now. Yep. So while trying to rebuild from the ashes of the final empire, King Elland and the Mistborn Vin must lead Luthadel against a gauntlet of challenges. Three different armies lay siege while supply problems and intrigue haunt the city. Meanwhile, the mystery of the deepness rises out of the now lethal mists and old lore hints at a greater threat. Bum, bum, bum. Was that off the back of the book or did Chris make that up? That's a good question. You'll have to find out. You'll have to buy the book. Yeah. Uh, as always, spoiler warning here, we are going to be diving into every part of the book we can. So if you really want to read the book before you listen to this, be our guest. But if not, here we go. Yeah. And there are some books where it's like, oh, you know, you could just come listen to this and get a good idea of it. Kind of have fun, that kind of thing. This one, though, like these three, I guess you want to you want to read like, man, they're good. These are excellent. Yeah. All right. Do you want to go over what you're thinking about the setting slash the magic stuff? We can kind of talk about that. Yeah, just kind of some overviews of different parts that were kind of a little different from the last book. You know, in the last book, you learned a ton about the magic system and all its intricate working. And you can still get some of that here, but it's a lot less. You kind of get some extra aspects added on. Um, you dive more into some of the creatures of the world. So we have, you know, we learn more about the Chondra. And then, so you learn more about the Chondra in this book, the Kolos, different beings that seem to exist purely out of magic. Were the Kolos even mentioned in the first book? I feel like the they were, were, I do well, not was like think one so. sentence about them. Yeah, if I had to guess, but I, it, it could have easily been something we passed They didn't matter, over, but. Which is fine. They didn't matter, but, you know. Yeah, the Contra was really interesting because it really went through how they have their own society uh, with their own set of rules all governed around this idea of, like, the contract. Like, you make your contract with people, uh, and that's kind of how their society operates. They can't kill people. Um, and if somebody fails their contract or breaks it or whatever, they have to go home and then they're like killed or something. Uh, but they do that because after uh, the Lord Ruler's ascension, he or they just started being like wiped out. Because obviously, why would you trust something that can like eat people and like shape shift into them? That kind of thing is very dangerous. But then we also learn that they're like really hard to kill by normal means. Um, and it seems what they're vulnerable to is a form of allomancy, but we don't really get to that until kind of later. Um, so it's kind of like, why are they, my question, I guess, would be, why are they still really so bent on this contract since they can honestly not worry about it right now? Like there's not really well, too I'm, many people that if can I'm hurt If I'm remembering them. correctly, wasn't, weren't they created by the Lord Ruler? Isn't that when they started popping yeah. up? Yeah, and they so were kind of their intimate being is is woven into them this idea of the contract and serving others um it kind of reminds me of you know a house elf in harry potter or something mm, like that yeah, a being true. that seemingly is made to serve others and so i definitely think that um just a little you know yes at book three i definitely think we're going to explore the conjure a little more and kind of maybe see their um release from that idea of constantly being tied to a contract or at least a bit more freedom for them but i guess we're gonna have to wait and see uh, and then we also talked about the Coloss who, like we said, were just hardly mentioned, but now we see a lot of them and they're just these 
big brutes like you know they're the, this world's orcs but they orcs yeah absolutely. they just like don't stop growing and their skin and like flesh will start tearing apart as they just grow too fast and they just get incredibly incredibly strong um and they're also they're kind of described as only having two emotions sloth and rage they'll, they'll just be like chilling out and then all of a sudden go and kill the person next to them and take their stuff and just be like yeah, I didn't like him. Very brute group. Move on. Their whole like existence, it seems, you know, kind of comes from this idea of fighting and the greatest warriors survive. And yeah. like, you have to continue to take each other on to kind of claim your, your stake. And they have like um, but those are, anime right. level swords, is kind of also how it's described. These like just the absolutely swords, colossal yeah. wide bladed swords. Um, so that was kind of funny. I think that's on some of the art for one for some of the art for the book two I've seen is just like Vin when she gets a hold of one holding just this massive anime tear sword. That was kind of funny. We learn more about Luthadel because the entire story is there. There's a lot more of intrigue. It's all about, uh, I wrote on here like Thrones level of intrigue, not in the same way, but with a similar intensity. And I think I would stand by that as far as the amount of time that it takes in the book and the amount of interest that goes into it it's not like the same quality or the same level of it i don't know the right way to compare it it's, it's, it's well written in terms yeah, of is. what he's trying to accomplish but he's not trying to dive into it as deeply as uh, uh martin is with game of thrones yeah it's definitely more surface level kind of trying to give you this idea of there's you know people behind the scenes trying to control things and there's like this power struggle i would say for control yeah, for sure. But it's not it's not as detailed, but it is still very important. And it's still pretty well done, I would say. Um, we also get a new metal for the magic system. It's called Duralumin. It's like a... So we saw how aluminum like kind of deleted any metals somebody had in them uh, in the first book, because that's how the Inquisitors got rid of Vin's metals when they captured her. But this Duralumin is, it gets rid of your metals because it burns them up in a massive burst. So whatever you're burning when you hit Duralumin just goes all out and you just unleash this absolutely colossal hit, which led to some really, really cool things that happened during the story. Yeah, I think it was a great add-on for the magic system because I think it gave you a lot more opportunities. And I think, like you said, Chris, that's presented very well throughout this book. And there's several different occasions where it comes into play and someone is able to do something they shouldn't be, but it creates an epic moment. So I'm all here for it. I think it was a great addition by Sanderson. I don't know if it was exactly in like the initial plan, but knowing him, it probably was. So. Yeah, you know, everybody calls him like the king of hard magic systems. And I think that just went along perfectly with it. Yeah, it was it was very cool, very creative, very creative solutions that the characters or Vin, I guess, had while using it. Um, so for themes, kind of like what we talked about, this political intrigue, uh, this book is a lot more like kind of high fantasy ish where there's a lot of war and diplomacy. And then there's also in the background of this supernatural mystery involving the deepness. Yeah, I think Sanderson does a good job of crossing over his genres. Because like you said, I think that the political intrigue is very interesting. And while not, it's not as deep as a Game of Thrones, I think you have your instances where it is interesting to see how this character is reacting to another group or party and how they're all trying to kind of maneuver within that. And then I, 100%, I think the supernatural mystery was a great add-on to this book. And I think it kind of gave you this other sense of there was always something else going on that you needed to figure out. 
And that really plays out in that the story. And honestly, when you kind of get down to the end of the book, you really get this big reveal. Mm-hmm. And I think that added so much to the layers of this. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, the intrigue played into the war, right? Like they were all, that part was all connected uh, and the diplomacy and all that kind of thing. But the supernatural mystery was always there kind of off to the side. Like it wasn't really connected and it made you kind of feel, I had, I don't know about you, but I had this feeling as it went along or like, guys, like you're focusing so much on this. And that's honestly, that might be the least important of your issues right now, as far as the future is concerned. Um, That's, how it was portrayed to me what did you think of that yeah no i think that's a good point and this idea that i think that's also a a pretty classical uh what's the word i'm looking for trope in Mm. terms of you have this infighting and these people arguing amongst themselves obviously you have you know the other armies coming upon them but even within the city you have people kind of changing up on who they think should be in charge all the while there's clearly something more dark and sinister coming to them or happening in the world and they're not focused on that at all yeah, that's where you have Vin, who at times, you know, she seems to always be right about everything, but she's constantly thinking about it. She's like, what is actually going on here? And so while she's kind of dealing with the problems of her kingdom and these armies, she's also constantly thinking about what's going on beyond all this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, her and Sazed. Sazed, I think, really glows up in this book. Uh, yeah, I think. Speaking of that, let's start going yeah. through the characters. Um. So for Vin, um, we see her pick up basically very similar to where she was at the end of the last book, kind of coming to develop that friendship, coming to trust people, developing that relationship with Ellen kind of thing. They're pretty close knit because it's been a co- like, what, five years since the end of the first book? Or was it just a year? No, no, no. I, yeah, I think, I, I I think it was just a year. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but we see a big character development of her through her interaction with another character, Zane. Uh, and this idea of, do you play these political games? Do you be the knife in the dark or do you search for the answer to this old prophecy and like kind of do your own thing? Um, the, and what level, what amount of your power do you use for your own influence? And, and that sort of thing. It's very much that, that classical wizard question of, well, we're the ones in power, so shouldn't we be in charge? Shouldn't we have... Yeah, and it's this constant debate within her of, is she being used? Like, how much do these people really care about her? Or is, rather, she just there to be this figurehead? Or as, you know, Zane consistently puts it, this knife for these other people in power to use. And she struggles with that a lot through this book. And something that Chris and I talked about, you know, getting ready for this book, was that a lot of these characters are developed mainly through other characters. They have, you know their instances and their um, problems they have to face, but also the other characters in the book greatly impact our two main characters, Ellen and Ben in this book. And that is really where a lot of the character growth comes from. And those characters also in themselves start to change how they think and feel about things because of their interactions with our main characters. And I think that was something that Sanderson did extremely well in this book in that not only did he give you realistic reasons why people were changing their thoughts and ideas, but also he used that to develop two characters at the same time, which I thought was really interesting. And it's like, she has that very, it's pretty stable. The relationship with Ellen, she gets worried about it a little bit, especially kind of maybe more near the end. And it's less of a, it's that classic, you know, am I worthy for him? But then he's having the same thing. Am I worthy for her? Cause she has so much power. Um, 
but she's like, am I worthy for him? Cause he's just so, so like good, I guess for doing what he can. Um, but next we can kind of talk about Ellen because he goes through a ton of character development too. And you also see like, yeah, he's good, but he also has his own possible flaws. Or, I, I don't know. He's almost a Mary Sue, but not quite. I, yeah. I struggled with Ellen a bit in terms of, it just felt like, whereas I feel that Vin is never wrong about anything. Like she seems to always have the right idea about things and she always figures out this or that. I felt that Ellen could never do any wrong. He just seemed like he was always the perfect kid. He always was like, if everyone really thought down deep down, they're like, you know what? Ellen is actually right about this. Yeah. I mean, Vin still makes mistakes. I mean, the very end of the book is a, a huge mistake. But... Oh, no, that's, that's my big thing. I'm saying that I think that Vin is a lot better written because while she seems to find her answers to everything and it seems to always make sense, she still finds herself in situations where she's doing what she perceives as the wrong thing when she kind of comes to terms with it. Oh, I and that's see like, that's a big example that we'll talk about later on. But yeah. whereas so Ellen, it just seems like even when he, you know, goes off and does his little march into it, one of the enemy army camps, he comes back and then, you know, Vin is maybe mad about it, but in the end all be all, it kind of was something that helped them. And they figured out a lot because of that. Yeah. I mean, he, he starts off the book, kind of a lot where basically where he ended the last one as well he's just like the kind of foppish like he he doesn't really care about the intrigue or they have people view him he just is the book nerd kind of thing yeah and that ends up having a ton of problems with him at the beginning because the intrigue and like none of the other ruling class people respect him like at all because he, he's just like he's just the nerd he doesn't do anything uh, he doesn't seem like he's a worthy king because that's what he is at the start. He's like a king. And then there's a council, very much like the president in the Senate sort of vibe um, because they have a lot of power and a lot of the decisions is put together through the council. Um, and I thought the way the whole council was set up and everything was really cool where you have the there's a set of noblemen, a set of merchants and then a set of workers, which was really cool. Um, but his development comes mostly through, uh, this other terrace, terraceman that shows up named Tendwell, and she is also one of the, uh, what are they called? The breeders? Well, no, 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 no. The, the special type of terraceman. Oh, she's part of like also the ruling council of the terraceman. Yeah. A keeper. She's also a keeper. And her thing keeper, is biographies. Yeah. She keeps biographies of like major historical figures and that sort of thing. Yeah. And if you don't remember the keepers in our last book are, those are the people just like Sazed who they store history essentially in their minds and in their medals and they continue to pass them down kind of, you know, like very giver like situation. Yeah. And, you know, whereas Sazed, his, his whole identity revolves around him learning and searching out things about you know religions Tinwells is all about biographies and histories of great men essentially yeah and so she shows up and is apparent and we find out that a letter was sent from Sazed to her and she's just like whips him into shape helps him become more confident and noble basically uh to put on a better face and be able to really she basically like turns him into a king uh, and then his whole internal struggle is between uh, everybody is always talking about Kelsier still, like how dope Kelsier was and all that kind of thing. So he's always comparing himself to Kelsier. And he's like, man, I don't have any magic. I'm, 
you know, just me, I can't, I can only do so much kind of thing, constantly comparing himself to Kelsier. And then he finally kind of at the end of the book starts to come to terms with that, which was really cool. Yeah. And even we, we see that uh, perspective through our other characters too. I think at times Vin stops and she goes, well, this is what Kelsier would do, Mm. but Ellen's not going to like it if I do it that way. So it's not that she's even struggling with this idea that can I be like Kelsier? She's kind of struggling with, I want to do this, but I know Ellen wouldn't approve of that because that's what Kelsier would do. And so there's this fine line that Ellen walks of trying to be a good king and also a just king. And he always feels that he should not be the only one in charge. He should not be the only one with power, that the power is given to you by the people. And again, I I think this is funny because this also happened in Thrones, but it's like this idea of democracy is kind of laughed at in this book of, well, there has to be people in charge. Like the people can't decide things. And so I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, they, well, they've always had like the Lord ruler is the only thing they've known is someone who rules through p- fear and power and force. Ellen is like, yeah, but also what if we, I mean, he basically brings up all the enlightenment arguments of, well, power should ultimately be derived from the people and therefore they should have a say and they should be able to choose the ruler. Like the council has a, is chosen by the people from the council's groups and they uh, can vote out the king. It is very much brings in a lot of the enlightenment sort of ideas and sentiment. And <laughs> like you said, when some of these other people start showing up, like the, some of the people from the other armies and gets into diplomacy, they just kind of laugh at them because they're like, what are you talking about? You, you only rule through force. There's a terrifying and good line that Pompey from Roman history has like the Pompey that was one of Caesar's people. Uh, has when he's like coming to power during one of their civil wars and he's going through and like messing with this town and I think taking a bunch of taxes and they're all like complaining to him and he's like you have to listen to those of us with swords basically the same idea of ruling by force is what they're used to and so that's like Ellen's big work in the whole book is kind of trying to convince these people that he's a good king and that the way he's thinking about is correct and just to kind of run through some of our other characters really quickly, um, not to gloss over anybody, those are our two main characters. And I think, like I was, uh, we talked about, I think that their side characters are the stars of the show in this one. They get I think much Vin better. Vin and Alan are interesting, but I think that, like, that's, like, what I said to Chris was, Vin and Kelsey are, you know, took up the screen time in the last book, and for good reason. They were such incredibly written characters. But in this book, you really get to explore and understand the depths of our other side characters, some a little bit more, some a lot. And I think that that really made for a much more interesting read and also just gave everybody kind of like their time. And so the development here is fantastic and you really get an insight into everyone. And also just their interactions with one another were so incredible. I think so well, well written. I know that Chris and I have um, gone back and forth between reading and listening to the audiobook, mm-hmm. And I think we wanted to give a shout out to, uh, do you know, do we have the name of the guy who wrote, uh, who read the audiobook? I can look it up. Why don't you talk about Tyndall while I look it up? Yeah, so we'll move on to our other characters, but just wanted to, you know, shout him out for the uh, fact that the way he can, you know, maneuver from one voice to another when a five characters are all talking, it's incredible and just really kind of gives even more weight to these interactions. But so um, before I talk about Tyndall, I'm actually going to talk about Sazed because he's kind of our third main character. He's the third most we hear from anybody. And Sazed's kind of going through his own journey of, exploring what's going on now that the Lord Ruler is gone and kind of what else is happening. And he's the big one who's focused more on the deeper mysteries. He's concerned with the political ongoings with these armies, but he's trying to figure out what's going on with these ancient terrorist prophecies. And 
from the beginning, he is interact like he's interacting with different villages and towns outside of Luthadel, and he's coming into places where this mist is rising up and people are dying, and they're all saying, you know, it was the mist that did it. He even eventually comes upon a town and everyone is dead except one guy. And he said, well, what happened? He said, well, the mists were outside. We couldn't come out. And so essentially the mists just trapped these people in their houses and they were too afraid to come out. And so you really get this exploration of what's going on there. And he's trying to figure out these mysteries along with this transcription that he finds at the beginning with, um, now, uh, now I'm losing his name. What is Kelsier's brother's name? Marsh. Marsh. He finds it with Marsh who Marsh has also gone through an apparent transformation. As you guys know, at the end of the first book, he became one of the steel inquisitors. And at first, you know, on surface level, it seems that it's just, you know, an appearance thing when he now he has more power, but he's clearly a lot darker. And I I don't know, to me, I got this feeling of horror when you're around him. It kind of seems like he was there's something wrong. Something's up, but he takes Sazed to steel inquisitor, like religious home, basically where their home base is. And that's where Sazed finds this prophecy or he, he finds the journal of someone talking about the old prophecies. So he finds the journal written in steel on one of the walls of the terrorist man who actually discovered Elendi, who was supposed to be the original hero of ages. And so he transcribes that. And his journey through this book is him uncovering the mystery of these writings. And so like we talked about, we also have Tinwell and Twinwell plays a major impact on not only Ellen, but all of our characters, especially Sazed. And I can't wait to talk more about that because I think Sazed is also one of our side characters that got a lot of love in this book. We have Docs, who was kind of, you know, the, you know, the right-hand man of Kelsey in our last book. And you don't get a whole lot from him, but I do think that we kind what of- What we do get is good into, though. Which, which you get is good. I 100% agree. He dives a lot more into the morality of the things that the, the party has done and what- really that cost them and you get some amazing lines from him throughout the book of what they did what it really means and whether that was good or evil and what defines that good and evil yeah he he hates ellen basically and vin kind of confronts him on it and he's like look i have to believe he basically says i have to believe all the noblemen are evil or i have to consider myself a monster for what we did uh like what me and Kelsier did before. I was like, shoot. Which is, yeah, an extremely deep level of thought process of it. And I just thought that was super interesting. Because but he's basically like, I've chosen hate over the possibility of I could have been, or, or of the possibility of confronting what I did. Yeah. and so But he's self-aware in that. The, yeah, you get the whole last book where, I mean, and this, this plays out in a lot of different stories, but you get your perspective and you're like, these are the heroes and these are the people that are really like that we're rooting for. But then you realize that these people aren't always good. These people don't always have the best intentions in the world. And while they do, they are trying to accomplish things that, you know, you would consider good. It's that giant question of do the ends justify the means? And so is what Dachshund did wrong or because it led to something better, is it okay? Yeah. And so that's, I think that's just really interesting that just a side character is the one who's really shedding light on that in this book. Well, and normally with the ends justify the means, that's the uh, motivation for the bad guys because it usually is a pretty evil situation because the ends never end. You know, you keep going, well, because, or the, the means never end. You're like, well, the end is going to be better, so I can do whatever I have to do. And sometimes that whatever you have to do ends up getting... If I have to kill these people, if I have to steal this thing, 
it's all technically good because in the end it will lead to something better. So it can get and really I just think bad. That's amazing that you get that from someone, you know, um, well, just to go over let's two. run through some of these other smaller ones really fast. So we have Lester Bornis again, who, uh, is given the nickname spook, which also can be considered a slur. Uh, but I don't think Sanderson meant it like that. That's something we talked about, uh, earlier before this, he's kind of his same self. Um, he's, just the 10 eye he's going to be a teenager now uh kind of just the comic relief at certain points yeah he doesn't really do anything uh clubs who is related to lesser bonus is still around he's the general of the army now he's very blunt and realistic and to like in a both intense and comical sense like they'll when they got all these uh armies surrounded them and everything he's like when he's training the soldiers, he's like, all right, I got to go teach these boys how to die. I was like, well, geez, clubs. Thanks. Um, And what's really interesting is he hate, he doesn't like breeze because of how breeze manipulates people, but he's the only one that's like immune because he's the copper, uh, he could hit the copper cloud. So he and breeze start kind of chill out together sometimes. And that gets really interesting. Uh, and then, yeah, do you want to go into Breeze now? Since yeah, you love so him? <laughs> Breeze, Breeze, in my opinion, is the other side character that gets a lot more love in this book. And Breeze is personally my favorite character in these books. Um, him and Zane probably fight for that spot because I find them both super interesting. I think when we're introduced to Breeze in the last book, you're kind of like, this dude's an asshole. It's, he sits there and he convinces, you know, Vin to go grab him some wine and she realizes that she's being manipulated. And there's always this kind of like idea about Breeze that he's, you know, a selfish guy. He's there for the money. He's just trying to, you know, finesse his things and that he's constantly manipulating people. But I think just in reality, you realize throughout this book that Breeze is one of the people that cares the most about our party and is constantly trying to find ways to help them. I mean, even at the beginning, and he's, he's so sly, he's so smart. And I think you get to really see that in this book. I mean, right off the bat, everyone's kind of like, oh, where's Breeze at? He comes riding in on horseback being chased down by this other army shows up and they're like, what the hell happened? And he's like, Oh, you guys like the army that I brought? And they're like, why would you bring an army? He's like, trust me. And we'll get more into that. But I just think he always kind of has some other plan going on and people always want to assume, you know, he's a sleazy guy and all this. And you know, that's a big joke throughout the book. There's a girl that shows up and they're like, wow, really breeze. And the more you learn about it, the more you realize that he's trying to do the best he can and he's constantly looking to help others. And I just, you know, I love Breed. I think he's such a well-written character. Yeah. So now he gets, yeah, he gets really interesting in this book. Uh, just when we get his perspective, it gets really interesting. So now we've got our three invading armies. So the first one is Jastis Lacal, or not the first one. He's technically the third one, but the first one we're going to talk about is Jastis Lacal. He shows up uh, third. If you read the first book, you know that he's actually one of Ellen's friends, but it turns out after he tried to do the same sort of just rule like ellen's been talking about in his homeland uh it kind of got taken over and destroyed and i guess he gets it back with this coloss army that he's built so he runs this coloss army and every time we see him he's just more and more bedraggled and kind of drunk falling apart yeah just trying to deal with this stress because he knows that they could just turn on him any moment and try to kill him He's able to sort of bribe them by saying like, hey, if you work with me, like I'll make you human, basically. He pays them with wooden coins and they believe like they're regular coins. 
uh, and Ellen finds that out when he goes to his camp. Um, yeah, he's definitely like falling apart. And yeah, bringing the Colossus is really interesting because he seems like he's kind of given up. He's kind of cool with whatever they do. They like they just commit these horrible atrocities, and he just like goes along with it. But He'll it be also like, oh, that was a mistake. Like I, I think I can control them. Yeah. But also just to touch on this point real quick because you brought it up with the Colossus and something that we didn't we didn't talk about in themes, but I think is persistent throughout the books is. The Colossus, you know, you have this idea and, you know, they have them, even at a certain point, they're going, like, I am human. Mm-hmm. And you finally eventually realize that the reason they're coming along with Jassy is because everyone's a big mystery throughout the book. How is he able to control them? And then, you know, Ellen is finally the one that discovers they're being controlled because they're being paid. Yeah. yeah and so deep down, like, they that. have this idea and sense of, no, no, no I'm saying, oh. they have a sense of, you know, we're human, like, we'll work for certain things. And I think a big theme throughout our books is this idea of, like, who really is human and who mm. is like who has emotion and feeling. And I think that's a debate with the Coloss. That's a debate with um, the, Chandra. the Chandra. That's a thought process with the Ska. And it's this constant idea of like, who really deserves, you know, this life we live. And, you know, you, you want to say as, you know, people that, you know, reasonable people saying as we're the good guys, you say the, everyone deserves that. And, you know, you have in other books, you know, the orcs, you know, they're just evil creatures and the Coloss are supposed to be evil, but it ends up being that maybe they're not so evil as we thought. And so I think that consistently goes back to that in this book of this idea of who deserves to like a chance. Yeah, this is really, and I think really cool. That plays into one of our main characters, our main bad guys in this book in Zane, but we'll talk about him once we get through the other two. Uh, yeah. the other, we'll go through Straff and then really quick um, set. So the second one who shows up is Set. He's the one that Breeze brought along, which is pretty funny. Uh, he uh, is disabled he's in a wheelchair and but he's very he's so he's so interesting because he's both charismatic and like horribly charismatic he he's a lot like clubs and he'll just say it kind of how it is or how he sees it it's very blunt um but also very self-aware like he's aware that what some of the things he's done to maintain and build power are like wrong are messed up but he very much views it as a fight for survival and he's like i'm gonna survive and he's willing to take like desperate and risky moves as we see some of the moves he makes uh he is probably one of the most he and set are definitely the most interesting or straff are definitely the most interesting with how uh, yeah set and straff are definitely the most interesting in how they deal with the city i personally think set is even more interesting because he basically shows up one of the merchants in the assembly gets him into the city and is like after because they they vote out ellen they they give a vote of no confidence so he loses his position as king and this merchant brings in set and is like all right uh now i'm going to propose this guy for the throne because he's got an army and we need uh, that f- strength of arms or whatever right now. Uh, and so he just kind of shows up and like tells everything how he sees it. And like how he's like, y'all are all going to die if you don't have me and things like that is really, is really interesting. It's kind of hard to do him justice without using specific quotes or passages or whatever, but I, he's, he's cool. He's definitely a, a much more eccentric, interesting leader. And again, he's another character you explore morality with a lot. In terms of you know you'll get you'll really break it down with him and he'll say i'm not a good man i know i'm not a good man but good men don't like rule good men don't survive and so that's yeah. how i'm getting there and so i thought that he offered much 
more interesting perspective on, you know, that type of evil, whereas we finally have our last leader who showed up first and who also happens to be Ellen's dad, but that's Straff Venture. And Straff Venture, to put it anyway, if we were to have a chart, he's just evil. Like, yeah. he's pure evil. There's no good in him. Everything he does is messed up. And that's, that. I think, to go along with what Chris said, I think that Set kind of has more interesting ideas on why he's evil, whereas Straff is simply just... I'm a bad person. I'm evil. Like to, to sum it up, if you were to trope, like put him in a trope. It's power but, for the sake of power. Like, yeah. Yeah. And he's, you know, a womanizer. He's constantly using people. There's no real. Well, it's less, him. it's less even of a womanizer. It's more of, he uses his power to like force women to love him. It's that very much the, like, this is a relationship built out of duress. It's not really consensual, but people go into it because they kind of have to. Uh, he has this very large sort of harem of sorts that he builds because he's trying to have lots of children to have Alamancer, ch- like to have Alamancer children. An army of Alamancers, essentially. Yeah. Which I thought that was really interesting, honestly. I thought yeah. that was the most interesting point about Straff is that he was literally betting all these different women for the sake of having more children that could be his own personal servants with power yeah his own personal like his personal army which is messed up but really interesting also is very much like he's into women that were younger than 20 Uh, yeah when standerson writes him he wants you to hate this guy there's no doubt about that the way he the way that when you get his perspective and the way he talks about the people around him especially the women and the young girls that he interacts with it's it's gross and I, i think that Sanderson wanted people to say, you know, that's actually kind of interesting. And I, they wanted to say that he wanted people to say Straff is a piece of shit. Yes. Yes. I feel like that's a, a perfect. Uh, but he but, has, he has the strongest army. He is the first to show up. And this is why Breeze wants to get set because Breeze is like, look, we can play them off each other because one can't invade the city while the other is still antagonistic to them because then that army can attack the invading army in the back. And like it's kind of the stalemate, like nobody can win. So they create this sort of stalemate situation. Which, yeah, br- brilliant plan by my boy. Again, yeah. let's just, we'll shout out Breeze. And that's what I was talking about earlier where he shows up and he's like, are you guys excited I brought this other army? And they're like, Breeze, why would you bring another army to attack us? And he was like, trust me. And it all just seems that, you know, Breeze has it figured out. And I love that about Breeze. But going off of Straff and his children, we have, yeah. in my opinion, the other most interesting character in this book, and that's Zane. Oh, man, and- this is the first character I've ever seen that's schizophrenic, and we get his perspective, which is really interesting. Or is he really schizophrenic? We yeah. don't really know. Is kind of interesting. Zane is another one of our mysteries that we get, but the more of the uh, mysterious part kind of comes out later. The first but- line we get from him in the book is, kill them, said God like in his head it was like oh okay yeah uh he's very much the foil to vein to vin um the major counterpart of her development he very much has that like forked tongue where he's always like look they don't understand you they don't understand the power they don't understand what it's like to fly in the night uh in the mists they don't understand what it's like to have the mists as your own they're using you blah 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 he's basically this idea of you know we are so powerful and people don't understand us, but yet we let people use us. And like we said earlier, that's Ben's big character development for this book is her kind of struggling with that idea. And like you said, Chris, 
he's the foil to Vin. He's constantly trying to get her to see the other side. And also, I don't think we uh, super mentioned, but yeah, he is Strash Child, which makes him Ellen's half brother. Mm-hmm. And he and Straff is definitely using him. And it's interesting because he always talks about wanting to kill Straff, but he never seems to really be able to until the very end. And even then, he doesn't do it. Like he, he feels this need to keep Seth like uh, Straff around. Yeah, it's almost this parental devotion to an extent. But he also like he hates him. He abhors him. Uh, which was really interesting. Also, Zane, the only person that uh, the voice in his mind doesn't tell him to kill is Vin. And so he gets this like sort of obsession with Vin. That's why he's always trying to convince her. He's trying to get her to leave with him to where neither side has a misborn. Now, you know, we can go off and do our own thing. We can build our power, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. And I, I think that Zane had, like wasn't he, he's evil but he's not evil in the traditional sense of he's over here saying but he's not even just saying like we are more powerful so should we could should, we should take charge he's saying we're powerful we have these abilities let's leave let's go do our own thing and he it's kind of like this personal goal of his like he wants he wants to take vin away because vin is the one person who like you said chris this voice in his head has told him to kill every person he's ever met and the only person it never told him to kill was vin and he felt like she was the one that could fix him and so his goal is maybe not noble but it's understandable yeah and it's also kind of like the nice guy thing he's very much like i love you blah 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 or in the end he's like i love you and she's like no you don't uh this is just an obsession and then he gets very angry and tries to fight her we do see them spar quite a bit that's how vin discovers what duraliman does um he sort of saves her life when she's fighting sets assassins at the beginning of the book because she alerts him that one of them is a Mistborn. Uh, he um, has access to a lot of Atium, uh, which makes some of their fighting interesting because every time, it, it, the whole book, you see the fight coming. Like, you know it's going to happen. And you're like, crap, he's got a ton of Atium. Like, what is going to happen here? Uh, so that that's cool because it's that's a different big, power you know, dynamic. Point that builds up. Yeah, but then she has the Duraliman. So like, what's going to win here? Uh, we also have, we didn't actually write them down, but we've got Ham who's back. Uh, he honestly hasn't really changed. He's just kind of the soldier, Ellen's bodyguard. Uh, very similar character. And then we have Orser, who was really interesting. He's the Chandra carried over from the first book. Uh, and at first he and Vin like don't get along um, because Vin is so mad at him for using, for like eating Kelsier's body kind of thing. But but not even just that it's essentially, we'll, we'll talk about that. We'll talk more about that when we get into that. Cause that's a big, that's a big plot point in my opinion. I think yeah. that's huge for Vin's character development in terms of her seeing through the eyes of someone else. Yeah. But she, she gets, she gets him a body of a dog cause she's doesn't, feel comfortable with him be, having like eating people uh and the, that's pretty cool orser kind of grows into the dog's body but there's also a really interesting twist that happens with orser that we can go through when we get to the story so we're yeah. going to break the story up to three acts and try to go through it a little bit faster than before because we feel like we've kind of just straight up got read the book at that point for all of yeah us. we're just you know summarizing it for y'all and kind of so, breaking it down like that but we're going to try and really you know 
mesh it into this idea of here's the first act, what kind of goes on, what's important, what does this mean for the overall concept? Yeah, so the first, like that. the first act ends in chapter 27. So it- Just to give put, you guys an idea of where at, like where yeah. we're at. So it puts all the characters in place, includes the new city government, how it works. Uh, it does everything a first act is supposed to do. It sets off the threats of Straff set. Uh, and then you start, you see uh, Jaskies and the Coloss because um, Sazed runs into them as he's coming back. Uh, or wait, that might be in. No, that's that's in that's in part one. That's in part one. Okay. You, yeah, you really do get a good setup of where all our characters are at, what they're going to be doing for most of the book. Because, like you said, you know, you have the army showing up, so you have to deal with those bad guys, and you have kind of Ellen and Tinwall coming together. You have Sazed coming back to the town with this, you know, journal. It was written in uh, the wall and you have Vin kind of, uh, she, you know, she, this is where she, you know, meets Zane and where she's trying to figure things out. And so you really have, it's, it's really the setup act and you're finding out where all our characters are at and where they're going to be going from here. Yeah. So also, yeah, we get the introduction, the mist spirit starts showing up. People start having questions about the deepness because the deep, the mist start killing people and it starts showing up in broad daylight. Uh, Sazed and Marsh go to this conventicle of Saren which is a old uh, Inquisitor temple. We don't really see much of the Inquisitors until the very end of the book, which is really interesting. Um, and in it is this writing in steel that he takes down and brings back. And it's this writing from the prophet that eventually, or that originally chose Alindi as the hero of ages, but then starts having questions later on. And it's that writing and says it's trying to figure it out. And that gets really interesting. Uh, it ends with when Ellen and Vin go meet with Straff, uh, and it shows just how powerful Vin is because Vin burns Duralaman and emotionally manipulates uh, Straff to the point where he literally like loses all his emotions. He's unable to feel for a short period of time because she's she just hammers him with yeah, an uh, another bronze. really good instance of how Duralaman is used in a very clever way and how it's not just you know look, I like this becomes super powerful, but rather, you know, using it to your advantage. Um, yeah, so you have this cocky guy who all of a sudden is like genuinely scared of her, which is cool. But then when they get back, Ellen's been deposed by the council because again, they're scared of the siege. Yeah, so that's kind of like a good little quick overview of the first act. Uh, anything you want to point out, things that you liked about it, didn't like, character moments that you thought were interesting? Um, I don't think there was, uh, in case of brevity, I don't, I don't think there was a ton to point out, except that these random bones were found in, uh, Vin's room one day. Yeah, that's, a, you know, that's a big point we have. And I think that's, that, that's another, you know, big theme we have throughout our book is trust. And Vin has to, Vin realizes, so her Chandra or Sierra lets her know that these bones mean that someone has taken over, like another Chandra has come in here and taken over one of your friend's bodies and they're trying to infiltrate. And so Vin has to go back into this idea in her head and this place in her mind where she has to learn to untrust these people. And she has to constantly be on lookout and keep watching her back because she doesn't know which one of them could be, you know, the imposter. There's an imposter among us as you were. Yeah. She's and trying so to find the Chandra. She's constantly on edge for the whole book, trying to figure out who this person is. And I thought this was a great, add-on because like like i said you have vin who her big character development through the first book is her trying to learn to trust all these people around her and realizing that these are good people these are people that care and love me 
And then you have to like rewind that in this book. And she has to constantly struggle with that. And I think that makes some great character moments for Ben because, you know, she comes to realizations at times where she goes, I'd rather trust these people and have them betray me than ever feel like there's a reason to not trust them. And that's a big, you know, debate that Kelsier has in his head about his old life um, Mm -hmm. in the first book. And so I thought that was really interesting. Like I said, you know, I think some of the character introductions were really cool here. I think you get a good moment with Breeze at the beginning. I thought that having Zane be, you know, this watcher in the night and see what he was kind of doing at first, he was just kind of our background character. And then when you finally get that chapter where it introduces him in Strathmore, so I thought that was brilliant writing by Sanderson. And I was, I immediately texted Chris when I read that chapter and I was like, have you read this chapter? Yeah, I would say that's like, text me when you do that's one of the best uh chapters in the book in my opinion is when we first meet zane the first chapter from his yeah absolutely i just think i think sanderson does a really great job of you know bringing his characters into the fold and give, making them interesting because i felt like he developed so much and gave me so much interest in this character in you know a couple pages just based off something that i'd never seen before and also just it's like he had aspects of characters that i had interacted with before he reminded me of other you know Kylo Ren was someone that came to mind really quick kind of like this angsty teen who's mad at the person that's really in charge um and kind of hates the the system but you know he had much more unique traits like Chris said he's schizophrenic and he's constantly dealing with that he literally gets told by this head this uh voice in his head all the time kill everyone and so I was really excited when he showed up and I loved his character and we didn't even talk about the fact that at times to get the voice to stop he essentially he hurts himself mm-hmm. yeah and he brutalizes himself he'll slash his arms open and such and so just this really deep character dive that we get with him and i just yeah i can go on and on about the side characters in this book i mean yeah I him and breeze are very good but... him and breeze are very good in this book so yeah those are all the main characters act one uh act two to really quick run through the bully pu- bullet points. So we see the campaign for King as Ellen tries to get reelected. Uh, Sazed ends up falling in love with Tindwell and they work together on this metal sheet translation and try to f- figure out the mystery. Again, the metal sheet is from that prophet about Alindi. Uh, Vin feels like she doesn't deserve Ellen and he is working on the law and government to get leadership back to the city. So like, it's kind of, he's doing his own thing and she's like, oh man, you know, does he need, like, need me? Am I worthy of all that kind of thing? Yeah, we, uh, we have moments to point to point out. We have moments where he goes and does something. Like he, at one point, you know, there's a problem where someone's poisoning the wells in the city and he goes and takes care of it and comes back and he tells her about it. And she's like, well, you didn't even tell me you were going to do that. And she kind of feels this like, you don't need me right now. Like, what, what is that about? And so she struggles with that. Yeah. Um, says it, yeah. The Vin and Zane uh, fight after Zane has been ordered to kill then he beats her with atm and could have killed her and this is where uh he really tries to convince her to leave with him and he just she just like basically says no and he is still willing to eat off which was interesting um you we start uncovering the mysteries uh vin is looking into the mist spirit she begins to think she might be the hero of ages and that gets really cool uh because she starts feeling the well of ascension like every time she burns uh uh the copper whichever one the last no she, co- copper is the one that uh she she burns bronze i think if i'm not mistaken bronze is the one yeah because copper cloud bronze is the sense one yeah she yeah. whenever she burns bronze she can feel this thumping in her chest of the well of ascension and she's like it's there like something's there um and this is also where we get vin starts to not only does she think about it but she researches it 
mm-hmm. and she's reading and that's a big you know that's a big change in the first part where she was like i find reading to be so lame and boring and she shows up at one point and they all come into the room and they're like Vinner, are you reading? Are you are you taking notes? And she's like, <laughs> yes, but don't get used to it. And yeah, it was pretty funny. So we kind of have some, a different little smaller uh, instance of Vin kind of changing her ways, but she's very interested. And like you said, she's reading these things and she's kind of coming up with this idea. She's like, maybe I'm the hero that they're looking for. All the while, I also wanted to point this out, just, you know, we have, you know, even though he's been dis- deposed, we still have Ellen working at being a king. He's constantly yeah. wearing these new clothes. He has his new haircut. All the ska still cleaning. call him king, which was really cool. But yeah, yeah, he starts wearing, getting this new clothes, um, training how to how to speak well, how to like have poise in public and that kind of thing. And it's it's really cool because that's something you see tangibly in how people treat him and how he's described, which is great. Uh, that's a tangible character development that sometimes we get the characters developed but we don't necessarily see it super well we see it with him it's a physical manifestation of an internal growth so yeah vin deals with those feelings of being used with zane just to go back to the bullet points um then there's the election and this is everybody shows up looking dope uh uh ellen has this plan where he's basically going to join this church of the survivor this religion built around kelsier and he doesn't tell Vin about it. And she's like a little miffed because he's basically, again, using her uh, because, you know, he's dating the, the heir of the survivor. The heir of the survivor, yeah, uh, to get this power. But she also is like, you know, I get it. This has to be done. But then yeah. these assassins start attacking. And these are all some of uh, Straff's uh, bastard children, ba- uh, the Alamancers. Vin saves everyone, but she gets really hurt, and she sees Ellen get scared at her after she like destroys yeah. a guy's head with by headbutting her. She headbutts him and just slaughters this guy. And at the last moment, she looks over and sees Ellen looking at her, and she just sees horror in his eyes. And that you know ends up playing into what happens with their relationship going forward because she's constantly scared of, wow, he saw what like how dangerous I really am. Like he's not going to want to be with me. He's horrified by me. Whereas all the while, Ellen sees that and all he can think of is, wow, she's so powerful. She's not going to want to be with me. Like, I'm just a mere mortal. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also want to go back to the point you talked about, you know, the church and all that. Because, you know, we we learned a little bit more about the church through a character we didn't bring up. But uh, was it Commander Demu? Yeah. Captain Demu. But Demu, and this also plays into, you know, the big uh, plot point of who is the imposter here. And so, you know, Vin has to go through her friends and figure it out. And she she comes to find out through Orseer that, you know, nobody that can use Alamancy is going to be the imposter. So she quickly, you know, she rules out Bree, she rules out Ham. Uh, she, she can't do it with Dachshund. And so the reason I want to bring this up is I want to talk about some of these, like, discrete character interactions she has. And that's, like, what we talked about earlier. She sits down with Dachshund and they have that deep conversation about... Um, what it really means to be good and bad. And she talks about, she goes, what did you talk to me about, you know, all that time ago? Cause it had been like two years since they had this intimate conversation about what makes somebody good. What makes someone bad when she was debating with him about the nobleman. Cause she's like, not all noblemen are bad. And she's like, and docs was saying, you have no idea what you're talking about then. And so he says, she was like, what do you think about that? And that's really what led on to that idea of docs coming out and saying, you know, I have to continue to believe that they really were all bad. Otherwise, I'm just a monster. 
And so through these interactions, she's consistently trying to figure out who is the imposter. And she's also coming to that. That's what I was saying earlier. She's coming to the realization of, you know, maybe one of them is the imposter, but I'd rather just trust them and have them betray me than constantly fear that I like, I can't trust them. Yeah. And so also with what you're going to do, he's the captain that carries over from the first book, the guy who uh, I think it was supposed to kill the big guy, but then doesn't. Kelsey was using it as an example, and he survives in the caves when the army is destroyed. And now he's the captain of the guard here, or a captain of the guard, and he's kind of part of the crew. Um, he is one of these leaders of the Church of Sur- the Survivor. And what's interesting is he seems to have discovered or something like that, that the world used to be green, like plants used to be green, the sun used to be yellow, not red, the sky wasn't always choked with ash, like on his own somehow. And Vin is like, wait a second, that's something like Kelsey said, how did you know that? And he's like, I just kind of discovered it or something like that. Um, but yeah, it basically with who's the imposter basically for Vin comes down to either him or Dachshund. And she doesn't, she never really makes, gets to make the choice because of something that happens later. While, but while Vin is passed out from that assassin attack, Ellen goes and visits Jaskies in the Kolos camp. Uh, he kind of shows his newfound confidence because Jaskies is like, he's just well, like he's a completely different this. course. Let's, yeah, yeah, yeah. He does. That part. So they but, have, you know, the, the assassin's attack. Vin stops them. They go on with the vote and he oh, ends up yeah. losing. Yeah, they give it to the nobleman, um, they don't even, Penrod. We didn't even, yeah. So it wasn't even set who ends up winning it. It all ends up being a ploy for Penrod to win. Yeah. And so he's essentially upset about that. Ellen doesn't know what to do about it. And so he kind of marches off and he's like, you know what? This is what I'm going to do. Uh, that's where he founds, finds the Colossus being paid in one coins. They want to be human. He almost kills Jaskies. Also, I think this might be out of chronological order because uh, this next point is Zane visits Vin, tells her that Demu is the traitor, that they need to go kill Set. Um, They go in there, destroy his home and guard, uh, and she's like ready to fight Set because this whole time she thinks he's secretly a misborn, has just been hiding it. She like throws him across the room and is like, fight me, and he just can't. And his son is like, look, like, what i don't know what your deal is like that's not his son soils himself he's so scared yeah that too uh but he's still willing to stand up which was really cool uh and like tell her to stop tell her that she's wrong and then she realizes how much that zane is using her in the same way that he always talks about people using that vin is being used he then is the one who uses her uh to yeah to go kill set and she wipes out like a third of his thousand man garrison in the city because he moved into the city uh and it was just really brutal and just and to talk that, on that Seth a little leaves. bit more but yeah so we'll just talk just talk about it on a little more so yeah like we're saying and like kind of like the whole point of the book is she keeps feeling this idea that she's being used and she debates she goes you know if kelser was here he would have gone and slaughtered the kings of his army and he would have taken control like that but i can't do that because of ellen and she constantly says these things of i would do this if it wasn't for ellen but then when she's out, Ellen goes and does that, something that seems seemingly really stupid to march into a Coloss camp and attack the thing, yeah. And she's she's pissed off about that. She's like, how is he going to go do that? But constantly tell me, like, I shouldn't do this and I shouldn't do that. And Zane really plays on those emotions. He's like, you're just being used. You're simply the knife for him. And not only that, but he comes to her kind of with these ideas of he. So as we said, the assassins were all some of Strath's ch- children. She essentially wiped out a third of his children just in that attack. 
And uh, Straff doesn't really understand why Zane did it. And then we as a reader are the only ones that kind of understand when Zane comes to Vin and he goes, yeah, that was Seth's party of Mistborn. It was all set up so that he could, you know, kill off Ellen and uh, Penrod so that he could take power. And so all these things keep adding up and she's super mad about it. And she's like, I'm being used by Ellen. Like he's like commanding me, but he's not doing what he should be doing. And then she's feeling this anger towards Seth. So she goes off with Zane. And Zane really wants her to see, like, look, you're so powerful. Like, feel that power and embrace it. And he thinks that if she does that, she'll come to this realization that she doesn't want to be with Ellen and she wants to be with Zane. She wants to go off and live her life as a misborn alone with Zane. Yeah, so you're right. That was not out of chronological order. So that was, yeah, that that happens like that. Then this is where I think the, this just gets so cool. So Seth leaves. So that second army is, like, kind of gone. So now it's just the Coloss and Straff. So the crew besides Vin and Elland meet, like Club, Sazed, Ham, all uh, Breeze, all of them. Club says Straff is kind of going to pull back so the Coloss army will attack the city because they just kind of won't be able to control it. Then Straff will be able to swoop in, destroy the weaker army, this weaker Coloss, uh, and take over. Um, they decide that Vin and Elland should leave to be able to continue their resistance and that the, the crew will basically sacrifice themselves to save the, save the city. And it was so cool. And we all, well, there's a couple of things here. One, we see Breeze use Alamancy on Dachshund, so we know Dachshund can't be the imposter uh, too. We see this all from his perspective, and he's just like, man, we used to all be like these selfish thieves and now we're willing to do this. And it's kind of like, they're all kind of like, screw you, Kelsey, for making us into better people. Yeah. Uh, and this also plays into this idea of, like I said, like we've been talking about is the secondary characters really steal the show in this book. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is one of the best moments in the book, in my opinion, this is, you know, them all coming together, making a decision that is clearly just not in their benefit. They're like, we are going to die, but they're doing it for the good of, you know, everyone. They're like, if we can at we're least gonna go down fighting part of our crew, we're going to do it. And that's the other big thing. They're like, we could accept that these people can come in and we can go into hiding. But is that what Kelser would have wanted? Would Kelser have wanted to just us to just give over the city and let it be? He's like, no, these people have to see that there's hope at the end of the tunnel. So we're going to fight them. We're going to all die. But at least we're going to go out showing everyone that like you can continue to believe no matter what. And he, they and basically so, are like, we're going to make a martyr out of the city. So then Vin and Ellen can go and rebuild a resistance elsewhere. Yeah. which is a pretty cool idea. And then like pretty much right after this, uh, Zane attacks Vin in the night. Uh, and he's like, you're, res-, he basically shows up again and is like, look, go with me, leave. I love you kind of thing. And she's like, no, you don't like, well, so this all shows up. She's going to leave with Zane. That's the big thing. She's like getting ready to leave. Oh, with that's Zane. right. She's getting ready to leave with Zane. Um, so she shows back up and Ellen is Ellen did his thing everyone's pissed at her and they're like why would you have gone and killed those people that was wrong and all this stuff and then ellen is going no she had a good reason like y'all can sit here and question me you can question whoever you cannot question ben like ben knows what she's doing if she did this she had a good reason and so she keeps debating if she's going to leave or not and when she's eventually deciding that she's going to leave with zane she stops and realizes there's this moment where zane seemingly i can't remember exactly what happened but he kind of like twist and he's like scared that she's gonna attack her or him mm-hmm. and she doesn't and she realizes something and she goes she puts it together that ellen, ellen trusts her i trust her yeah and so she's spent all this time trying to find in herself it like find in herself this ability to trust others 
and she realizes the reason she loves Ellen so much and why like that relationship has meant so much to her is because Ellen trusts her and she stops and she goes, I can't possibly go with you because like, there's only one person in this world that I feel so closely to. And that I know without a doubt, trust me, no matter how dumb I can be, no matter how irrational, he trusts me. And Zane is, you know, infuriated by this. And he kind of, you know, spills the beans on, he was like, those were like our people. And I did all this finessing and tricking of you just so you would come with me. And so that didn't go over well. She, and then they're going to, you know, start their whole fight with the ATM. She realizes the ATM he gave her was fake. And then all that to be said, she loses all her medals because it was, what was in the thing? Or maybe she doesn't lose all her medals. No, she doesn't lose all her medals. It just makes her kind of sick. But then she's going to like try to fight him and she's going to use Duralamin. But this is where we finally found out who the imposter is. Or Sir goes to Zane. She's like, wait, what? And turns out he killed, he's this other Condra actually killed Or Sir. Uh, those bones were from him has been the spy the whole time and he so the whole time yeah yeah the person giving her advice on Condra, the one helping her kind of find out who this imposter was it was the imposter the whole time which was so interesting in my opinion because it was something that i definitely think you could have caught but i know for a fact that i didn't even come close to it and i know i was actually mad at certain points i was like is Sanderson really going to write it so that some lame character is the imposter? And Orsier was the perfect choice. Oh. And I, we didn't really touch on this as much earlier, but we, we said this a little bit, but Orsier is the one, how she interacts with Orsier and talks to him about, you know, she, eventually Orsier comes up and goes, why do you hate me so much? Mm-hmm. And she's like, he's like, is it Sonicondra all of a sudden? And she was like, I hate you because you hate Kelsey. He's like, there's no way that's it. Like, there has to be more to it than that. And they get down to it and she realizes she's like, I hate you because you knew that Kelsier was going to die and you didn't do anything to stop him. Mm-hmm. And then she comes to this realization through Orsier telling her that Orsier didn't have a choice. Like that yeah. wasn't his contract and that's what he had to do. And she slowly starts to learn more and more about the conjure and this idea that they're literally meant to serve and that that's all they can do. Like she didn't have a choice. And that's where you really start to get this, like this parallel between herself and Orsier. And through their conversation, she realizes that she's not too different from Orsier and that growing up she was you know Orsier tells her about yeah our masters will beat us and destroy us but we're completely fine in the morning because that's just how our bone structure works and all that and she was like I was also beaten down and like used as a tool by so many people throughout my life and he's like well why did you do it and she was like you know I guess the same reason you did it it's like I didn't know anything else and I just think that like we were saying she grows a lot through Zane and I think the character she also grows a ton through in this book is Orsier because she starts to realize that just because you're different or, you know, perceived as a monster in certain aspects doesn't mean anything about you. Like who you are is who you are. And so I just found Orsier to also be very engaging in this book and just really shed light to Vin on what it means to just be, you know, there's no such thing as, you know, a monster or not. You're simply good or bad. Yeah. Well, and he also teaches her inadvertently how to actually use uh, Alamancy on the Chondra because it normally doesn't work. Um, so after she gets hurt and burns all her medals through Duralman, she uses it on him to get access to some of the medals he stores. And he basically like prompts her and is like, Hey, do it. Uh, and yeah, she, through all this, they built a friendship. Yeah. And so she, it comes down to it and he has to obey Zane because that's his contract. But then he's over here, you know, through the hints he's given her throughout time, he ends up going, you know, you're the only one, like she knows our secret. She knows our secret Zane. And Zane's like, what are you talking about? And she realizes that She's trying to tell him, like, use the power. Use it, yeah. And that's what we eventually realized throughout the book is that they, 
conjurers actually can be affected by allomancy. It's just extreme. Like when they get used on them, it's it's painful. It's it's horrifying to them. Yeah. So he's like willing to do that in order for her to win. And so she she kills him and he's like, You were supposed to save me, is like the last thing he says. And then what's really interesting is uh at the very end of that we get a little bit from his perspective and this voice goes you know you weren't actually crazy and it's like what what does that mean yeah and so right there we just get you know this whole other mystery with zane i also wanted to point out with zane two two things about so one about the fight one about zane is at the beginning of one of the chapters we get this message about how in his chest there's this spike that sticks out the back and in the front just like the inquisitors from the first book and so we already had to kind of have some mystery there of why is that there because it was only mentioned for like a line but that's clearly going to be important and then like you said chris he comes to his end and all of a sudden this voice who you know like we said the whole book he's kind of based his decision process on this voice it's constantly telling him to t- uh, constantly telling him to kill people he's hurt himself because of that and then all of a sudden it goes you know what's funny about this whole thing like you were never crazy at all zane and I just found, again, I thought Zane was a very influential character. I constantly wanted to hear more from him. Also, let's talk about how Ben was able to defeat Zane. Yeah. Because so Zane she, has ATM, which yeah. is, you know, she, Zane can see the future and she can't. So basically, it's the classic, like, well, you can see in the future, so I'm going to do something that not even I can predict, where yeah. she watches him go for a block and then sort of unconsciously changes the direction of her attack and is able to catch him. Uh, be it, like able to stab him because he's just expecting the ATM to work normally. So that's like kind said, of a trope, but it's a very big trope. <laughs> it, it works. So then, I thought real it was quick, the best way you could have written that. Yeah, it was written well. It is a trope, but it was written well. Real quick, the end of Act Two. This is like the no the t- no turning back point. Uh, so then she's injured, goes to Sazed, uh, and Ellen shows up. They go ahead and get married while Sazed is like fixing her up. And then this is where Sazed is like, look, he tricks them. He's like, you should go to the Well of Ascension. It's up in Terrace. I'll even draw you a map. Get out of here. That's how she's, he, he's able to convince them to leave the city. So it, he tries to get Tindle to go with them. She won't. However, the side character who we haven't mentioned yet, because she doesn't really matter that much, Orianne does go. So Orianne is one of Set's daughters, and she left the army because she like loves Breeze. She thinks she's a genuine man, good man. She's really interesting because she's a very like valley girl. I don't know. She's described as like a, a powder puff court girl, which is really interesting. But we see that she actually does have some, some substance to her. Um, and she goes with them. And that's basically the end of act two, I would say. So then going into act three, as soon as they get out of the city, she just yeets away. Uh, she goes to find Set because she wants the, that army to turn around and to save Breeze because she's guessed what Straff is going to do as well. This is where we also see Straff get really evil because he tried to kill Zane before Zane goes off and does his thing. Yeah, he, he's just really revealed. He just goes straight evil. It turns out he's been addicted to this drug and he just goes with it. And he's like very much planning. All right. And, and he gets, gets this idea of, you know, Maybe I'll just let the Coloss burn down Luthadel and I'll rebuild it in my image, is I think quite literally what goes through his head. And that you just really get a sense of, oh no, he's gotten even worse. Villain, Vin and Ellen realize they've been tricked when Vin hears the thumping. They encounter the mists and the mist spirit kind of talks to Ellen. 
Then they find Jaspies. He's run away and realizes that Coloss has started rioting. And Ellen just gets so mad. He's like, you abandoned your duty as a leader. You uh, are letting your army destroy my city. Like, and he passes judgment. Ellen kills him, which is kind of the ultimate realization of the power of a king, right? A king is supposed to have the power over life and death, which is like, whew. Uh, it was a very, you know, ep- epic moment and kind of, you know, the quintessential moment where he takes up everything that he's learned in this book. And he's like, he shows that leadership. Yeah. So then there's a really pretty good, pretty long uh, and very well done uh, battle scene of the siege of the city. And we see most of it through Sazed's eyes, actually, as he like literally hulks out with his uh, pewter m- minds where he's able to store strength and then he's able to use it all at once. Uh, so he, he literally turns into the Hulk to fight these colossal. It's awesome. But what I really want to get to, just to mention this, is it's actually well-written. They actually do defense in depth. It's actually written out like, hey, we're going to cover these gates. And then if we have to fall back, we'll fall back to these positions. Uh, there's going to be uh, reserves over here. Um, these are our different things. And they are pretty sure, that they know they're going to lose, but they still do a very good job with the defense. As like a, just kind of a history nerd and wanting things to be done right, it's actually good. And I really appreciate it rather than just, Everybody is on the walls. They attack the city. As soon as they break the walls, it's just chaos because it's not like yeah. that. Sanderson is clearly also very into his history and his research, and he knows what he's talking about when he writes these, you know, fantastical battles. Um, all the while this is happening, you know, you have some of our other side characters' perspectives, and at the same time, you have kind of have that epic moment of Ben is getting back as fast as she can. She is constantly just pushing Pewter out. She's as powerful as she can until she can't anymore. And I really like this part because it's another instance where instead of just, you know, saying the magic system did it, she has to think through it. Mm. She's like, okay, there's no way I'm going to make it all the way back with just Peter. What can I do? And so she remembers in the first book, she got from one city to another so fast because there was this railroad ties along the way. And she was able to just jump from each one to the next. And so she ends up on this farm and is able to get some horseshoes from the people. And she just kind of runs, 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 throws, and then jumps and throws and jumps. And I found that to be really interesting because Instead of just, you know, saying she ran all the way back, Sanderson let her figure it out in a different way. Yeah, she intelligently solves her problem. He's always trying to implement his magic system in, in new ways. Um, all the while, we're back at the city. Says is fighting people off. Uh, Breeze is trying his best to kind of like soothe as many people as he can to keep them under control. But he's slowly realizing it's like not going to work. Like there's so many people dying. And this is all the first the while, time his like alamancy, like his efforts have not really worked. Yeah, and all the while we have our other characters, and this is kind of where we see our first major deaths in this book with Clubs and Dachshund, and you kind of get their last moments of them fighting. And yeah, it's pretty, point out it's is pretty brutal. It is. Something I want to point out is that even in, you know, the last couple chapters leading up, Sanderson took time to, you know, I didn't think Clubs was ever our most engaging character, but you get a moment where uh, Sezid kind of thinks about Clubs more deeply and thinks, you know, he really loved his job as this uh, carpenter and there's a lot more to him. And he gives him this uh, little sigil. From an old religion. Yeah. And it's just, you know, another instance of kind of giving us more reason to care about these characters, even though he is about to kill them. And so just some brutal deaths. And, you know, I think Dachshund was, was bigger than Bree or not Bree's, but Dachshund was bigger than uh, clubs, but still all in all, you know, you're losing members of the crew and, Ham is deeply injured. 
Breeze eventually I, I th- doesn't end up just basically going into shock because he yeah. can't handle. He goes into shock when Clubs is killed. Says it eventually yeah. finds them, but at this point, like the Colossus are in the city, they're like tearing everything apart. Um, well, right before Says it finds them, he, you know, we have, as always, because every book, every movie, oh yeah, every yeah, yeah. has to have this. We have our ex machina moment where Says it's about to go down, up. and then this was epic too, though. This is I've said epic a couple times now, but what a badass moment where the thing that the Colossus about to tag and kill says it is knocked out from behind and then says it looks up on the wall and just like with the sun at her back you have vin and her mist cloak flowing in the breeze mm-hmm. just showing up the city like i have arrived and that was just epic and she starts slaughtering colos like left and right and but so then, even then she starts getting overwhelmed and so she just kind of yeets away she so all the all our people end up going to lord penrod's keep He's just kind of been holed up in there. He doesn't want to let them in. Well, Vin shows up. She's been fighting like crazy, um, but people are still dying. And she finds this like group that of people that are running away. And she is like out of pewter. She can't really do anything. So she enraged does the same thing she did to Orsur of like Duralamin burning um, one of the, the emotion manipulating metals. And all of a sudden these Coloss just stop and they go dormant and they like listen to her. She's like, wait a second. This is how the Lord Ruler controlled the Colossus. Yeah, and that was like that's how she realized it because she was thinking, you know, how was the Lord Ruler able to control them? How was the Lord like? How was he able to keep them away? Like, and she kind of thinks, you know, well, maybe this will work again, and it does. And so again, then, you get this moment where the magic is affecting people in ways you didn't know. Mm-hmm. So then she is able to run around the city after getting a whole bunch more medals and basically re or builds the Coloss army and gets them all under his her control her control yeah which is really so interesting because it's like yeah. what would have happened if she had started in the city you know yeah. and so she just gets it down and she has her own army and because everything's kind of gathered you then you get jump back to Strauss perspective and they're like hey should we go help now and you even have one of these generals it's like dude we should go like it's bad and he's like we will go when I say we go and then all of a sudden the Coloss are coming on they're like oh that's some Coloss and then they say wait a minute there's like a bunch of soldiers there too. And then it actually is rushed through kind of quickly at this point, I think to kind of give this idea of it wasn't close. And Vin just shows up with all her Coloss and all the soldiers. She jumps from the city to them with a giant steel push used by fueled by Duralamin and just, you know, wipes them out. Yeah. She jumps on the set and is like, what's really funny like, is sets just kind of sitting there and he's like, Oh, this is interesting. And then he sees something flying in the air. He's like, huh? What's that? And all of a sudden, he just gets like cut in half as uh, Vin just like sends the sword forward. And, and it's she's very like, I much told one you of if those. You attacked my city, I would kill you. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, shoot. Um, and then Set shows up because Orianne like got him too. And she, he attacks as well. And it's very much like, like you said, it goes quickly. Then there's sort of a council that's made from the survivors where uh, they all bow uh, uh vin gets them all to bow down and swear fealty to ellen so you've got this um sort of council made up of straff's general that survives sazed penrod and uh set uh meanwhile vin goes back she's like i'm just gonna go sleep she sleeps for like uh, quite a while um when she gets up she thinks she can find the well of ascension and stop the mist from killing people she thinks it's actually under luthadel um, she, she just thinks it's in Luthadel, but she doesn't realize where. Yeah, and you know, like you're saying, just to like kind of get it to Ellen shows back up, and they're just trying to kind of figure this thing out. Says it's like there's no way it's here, and she's like, 
she and she's basically saying, well, think about how much has been changed because of Lord Hula. There's there's no way to, that we can tell that a mountain wasn't flattened. And so they eventually do end up finding. Oh, also, again, you know, another side note. But want to mention this? Sazed. This is we got two things with Sazed, and this is awesome. Sazed goes. Well, this part is darker, but Sazed, you know, goes and looks through the bodies after the battle's kind of over, and finds that Tinwell died defending the city, and that really, you know, it just destroys him because they've been talking to him earlier, and they're like, "Hey, you believe you." know all these religions but you don't believe in any of them he's like well i sort of believe in all of them but then when he finds Tindall's body he's like actually i don't like i don't have any faith and he really gets super depressed and he just like doesn't care about anything because he's like the you my love is gone for him where you know he's constantly been the one that goes you know you guys might not believe in this but other people do and the importance is that someone believes you know mm-hmm. and he doesn't really know what he thinks himself but he's just like i know all these religions and he gets to this point he's like what's the point having faith in anything if someone like Tinwell could die? And I thought just in terms of character moments, that was incredible. And that he was what, like that Sanderson was willing to take that kind of big of a risk with someone like Sazed, who is, you know, our wise character, our calm character, the character that always sees the good in things. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's broken by this. Yeah. So I'm really interested to see how that plays out in the next book. And then, like you said, at the end, we have Ellen's. Yeah, it is. Real quick, so like Ellen and Vin, they go under the Lord Ruler's castle and they find the secret entrance and they're going down. Meanwhile, uh, the Miss Spirit shows up to Sazed and points out this little scrap of paper that uh, has been torn off of the book that he and Tindall wrote based on the uh, metal etchings that he got from the conventicle and all this other stuff they found. And it's like, hey, don't let Vin, it basically amounts to, he realizes, don't let Vin go into the Wall of Ascension. Something might be wrong here. Like something strange is up based on these writings. Like something just doesn't add up. And so he races off to go. Well, Marsh is waiting on him. And he's like, hey, Marsh, like, cool, let me through. And Marsh is like, I don't know what's going on, but all I know is I have to kill you. And it seems like he's got the same voice in his head that Zane has which was really interesting. This idea of possession and yeah. just that he has no free will. And so, you know, they have their battle. It's pretty cool. And, you know, in another fashion, you have Marsh, or not Marsh, you have Ham show up. He helps save, saves it. But all the while, down below, that mist spirit that led them there slices um, open Ellen's chest and he's dying. And Vin realizes, because they finally got down to the Well of Ascension, and then she goes, I have to take this power. It's the only way to save Ellen. She starts to take the power and then has this thought of, you know, I have to give this up because of the prophecy, you know? All yeah, these yeah. things said that they had to give her the power up otherwise. And so she's thinking, well, I had like the mystery, this is the test. Like I'm supposed to like take it to save uh, Ellen, but I'm not supposed to actually take it. So in her moment of, you know, clarity and her being, you know, trying to be selfless and realizing what Ellen would want, she gives up the power instead of saving Ellen. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, you know, you get that deep, dark voice of, you know, the, the same curse idea of, you finally freed me. And that's what she hears. And she realizes maybe something's up. Like she's like, oh crap, like I messed up. And all the while, Ellen's still dying. Yeah, and this was so cool because this is such a turn on the trope, right? Like she does the selfish, the selfless thing and it's wrong. It's the wrong move. She should have taken the power, which is just so contrary to anything we've seen before, at least I've seen before, which is really cool. Well, yeah, Ellen's dying. She goes and finds this little coin that's been broken. uh, uh, Inside one of the, like, yeah. And the Miss Spirit, like, points to it. And this is the same Miss Spirit that 
like is killed Ellen essentially, but it points to it. And she realizes that the reason the misspirit stabbed Ellen is to get her to take the power to save him, which is kind of messed up, but you know, that's what it did. But then it shows her the coin. She grabs the coin and gives it to Ellen and then realizes afterwards that he is now burning pewter. He has become a mistborn because of this. And this is something we kind of see when they talked about the Lord Ruler in the past, where there wasn't any Alamancers before the Lord Ruler went into the Well of Ascension, and then there was afterwards. And it seems like this has something to do with it, where in the Well of Ascension, he found the power to create them, and Finn just found the same thing. Uh, yeah. And that's where it ends, basically. There's a little bit of a... We have our last bit. Post- oh, yeah. This postscript involving Sazed and... Uh, Sazed essentially comes to this realization that the prophecies... So the big thing about that was the first line was, this is written in steel because what's written in metal cannot be changed. In reality, the things they've been reading the whole time have been manipulated. And that's our big reveal of this prophecy and all this writing that you've been reading about this whole time about the hero and this prophecy is all wrong. And it was changed by some force. And so we come to this realization that our heroes have been working towards something based off these prophecies, based off these old writings, and it was all a lie. And I thought that was just such a great way to, you know, kind of throw it a wrench in the plans for our heroes. And so I'm really excited to see, you know, what they actually learn about it in the next book and what that has to do with everything. And this goes so much into the the thing with, says it too where he's lost faith and now he's like well and all our prophecies were a lie the whole entire terrorist religion was about finding this uh hero of ages but it turns out the hero of ages was all created by this power in the well of ascension in order to set it free like it was a, it's it didn't have a ton of power but it could manipulate a few things like it could maybe it's what was putting its voice in people's heads and it seems like it also did this. It, it manipulated these w- the words and these prophecies, and it, it literally changes things when people like kind of turn away almost so that all this writing has been altered. And after it's freed, he can read the original writing and reads everything that is said. And it, it's just one of those moments where you like kind of heart sinks down in your chest and like, oh no, they messed yeah. up. And the one thing I didn't like about it was that we wrote this in terms of tropes is that there's actually this bad guy behind the scenes the whole time you didn't know about it. But if it was ever done well, it was this situation because while I don't like the idea that we don't know who the bad guy has been the whole time, I love the idea that the entire time, you know, the whole history we've heard of, the whole point of, you know, Sage's like journey at certain times and Vin was to like figure this out. And it was all a lot. And I just found that to be such a, a, you know, a gut punch, like you said, but just such a good example of a great way to introduce a twist. Yeah, it was good. Uh, Then we get um, for other tropes, the kind of imposter slash Vin realizing that trust means uh, more to her than the possibility of like failing, which, you know, that's kind of a standard one that we see a lot. Then we have uh, Vin grappling with the idea that is she the hero with other people's doubts and that sort of thing. And she ultimately believes it, goes for it, and then turns out to be both right and wrong because she does feel the prophecy. However, that prophecy was manipulated, which I really like the prophecy being manipulated. I thought that was awesome. I agree. 
I'm, I don't always love a prophecy, but I think when it's done well, it's good. And when it's done like this, it's even better. So themes. Yeah. Like what, what, what things really stuck out to you? What, what would you point out as things to take from this book? So what we kind of had written down, but it's kind of the ends justify the means, what justifies good and evil. And this is a turn that on its head, because this is where they, the good guys sort of have the ends justify the means mentality. Uh, I guess you could kind of say the evil does too, but it's really interesting how some of the good guys use that as a justification for some of their moves. And it's like, this is, is this kind of a slippery slope because some of the stuff they do is pretty messed up, like then murdering. Yeah. Uh, and I think um, just to go off that, I think that is one of the best ways to write characters and not even to say that these characters are morally great because obviously they're more good than they are bad. But I just think to really kind of get perspective on everyone and saying, you know, how good are you? And like, what, what are you willing to do? And I just think that's a much better way to interpret a character because you learn so much more about them personally, rather than just saying this person believes this and they think that's good. And it's good because they're our protagonist. You get a lot more into that. And I like that so much more. It was, you know, the simple cookie cutter idea of a hero. Yeah. And then we have the fine line between uh, being trust or trusting and being used. This is what we see with Zane and Vin's kind of back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. Which was really good. We don't quite see a lot of the maybe going into the specifics of that, but I do find that line very interesting because at what point, you know, because Ellen did use her to gain clout with the Church of the Survivor you know clout. <laughs> yeah <laughs> actually that's the word that sanderson thought of when he said this and he wrote this book he said you know what ellen's about to gain all that clout by saying he's dating homegirl <laughs> i i i thought that was good because so much i feel like so much of this like oh i can trust nobody it's such a common trope i don't think it's very often done well uh the you know trust no one blah 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 but I think this where they kind of talked about the fine line of being trusted versus being used. I think it was pretty all well the done. while having the imposter among them and them yeah. trying to figure that out of, you know, and how much that trust is really worth to you and what means more than that trust. And I just think Sanderson explored that really well here. And I thought, like I said, I think having this idea the whole time of, you know, who actually is like the good guy here and who, who here is betraying us. I thought that was super interesting. I was constantly reading into things like, yes and i was just so wrong and that's what i love about it yeah i i completely agree of the like oh man it's got to be this person but wait what if it's that person you know kind of thing that was expertly done and i think that's if we want to transition over to the writing style sanderson has an extreme level of technical skill in storytelling especially with how he uses side characters in this book to help her may or guide the main characters along their arcs like like we talked about at the beginning, most of the character development was not actually done through stuff the characters necessarily specifically do or how the world interacts on them, but with how they interact with some of the side characters, which is not super common, I would say. Like, I don't, I, I'm thinking and I can't, it, it seems different from how you normally see a lot of character development, but I could be wrong there. I just, no, I, I, what I think strikes he me. does it in such a strong way because it's not like he's just even using these characters. The characters are interacting. And that's what I, I, again, like we said with the audiobook writer, the way they interact feels so real and genuine. Yes. Speaking and, of that, 
speaking of the audiobook, uh, if we're going to shout him out, uh, I think this goes along with writing style, but it's Michael Kramer. And what's interesting is it's Michael Kramer. Oh, it is Michael Kramer. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Him and Kate Reading are the ones who did The Wheel of Time, and they also do a lot of Sanderson's other books, which I kind of looked him up and found. Like, they do the Stormlight Archive, and they, uh, they did... And also yeah. just did Daniel Green's book. Yeah. If anybody here is a Daniel Green fan. Uh, so that was really, really cool. And but what was interesting is to me, it didn't sound like anything like the, the how Wheel of Time. Wheel of Time. Yeah. Because I'm I was halfway thinking. through them. I'm halfway through them. I was like, wait a second. He doesn't sound the same. So, I would not have guessed that. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, I didn't. Yeah. Which was cool. He, I think he did an absolutely fantastic job with the stories and getting across their personalities with how they're read. Uh, yeah. yeah, he did a fantastic job. I would, yeah, I, I would totally, if anytime I see Michael Kramer on an audiobook narrator, I'm like, yeah, this is gonna be good. Sanderson does a lot of things well with his writing, but I think the thing he does best is his characters and they just feel real. Characters a magic out. system. They feel like they have serious and actual, you know, relationships and consequences to those relationships. And I constantly feel like people are changing because of those around them and it, it doesn't feel unearned It very much feels that every interaction leads to something else and i love that about him uh, i guess i kind of transitioned into our last piece that we want to talk about which you know our likes and dislikes and that was definitely a, a big like of mine and i like i said over and over again in this in this podcast one of the my biggest like of this book was the characters secondary and characters. more so the secondary characters i thought Sazed, i thought Orsier. Zane, especially Breeze, I thought that they really stole the show and they were the reasons I kept wanting to come back to this book and I kept wanting to like read more because I wanted to hear more about what was going through their heads. Because I feel like both of us flew through this one pretty quickly. This one was quick, yeah. I was, um, I mean, if I hadn't gone away for the weekend, I would have had to finish, you know, a couple, you know, yeah. six or seven days max. <laughs> um, just, you know, with a lot going on in life, that's pretty quick for us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> For me, I would probably say, uh, besides kind of what you added, the technicality of the magic system. I mean, you get that a lot with Sanderson, but how it's creatively used, how kind of like we talked about then having to come up with these creative solutions to our problems rather than just, oh, you know, we just wave a wand around and say some words and that solves it. You know, it's whenever you hear Sanderson talked about, there's always there's a thing that talked about of like, with magic systems if your magic can just immediately solve anybody's problems then it's not really a magic system it's just kind of your plot service but this it has its boundaries and it has to be used creatively and yeah it's like okay well the writer can just come up with something creative it's like fair but it's also a story easier said than done <laughs> yeah and also easier said than done it's like fair but it's also a story and you're getting the sense that this is how the characters would do it because it, it like, makes sense and it's very easy to leak into a point where you're you could easily say it's a lot it's a problem a lot of fantasy and why some people are saying you know they, they bash on fantasy because it's just like well what's the point of the story if they just have magic like can't you just solve things with magic and sanderson does a good job of saying you can solve things with magic but you can't solve everything with magic yes and you have to be creative with it and like really think it through and some of the solutions yeah it's it's fantastic um well, something you didn't like about the book chris we can do, mm, we can do a dislike real quick we'll finish on a like and then we'll give our ratings yeah i, I like that 
Um, dislikes would maybe be, I felt like the Coloss were underdeveloped. They just kind of were like big, bad, scary. Um, they do big, bad, scary stuff. And then at the end, they are all of a sudden able to be controlled. I don't know what it would look like to develop them more because they are pretty simple, but at the same time, it felt like they are just, you know, the orcs. But I felt like even I'm rereading Lord of the Rings right now for who knows how many times. And it even feels like to me that the orcs are more developed than the Coloss are, which may be a hot take. I don't know. But I, say, I don't know. I mean, in, orcs in the books, also, you know, you in the books, they're better. In the orcs, so, yeah, and that's the, fair. What about you? Hmm, dislikes. I think uh, at certain times I felt that I didn't super care. I mean, again, I think he does political intrigue well, but at times I was just like, I don't need all this. I don't need to hear about, you know, you campaigning to this person or this person. I kind of wanted to skip over that. Um, I definitely just felt that there were instances where our characters were maybe not just working towards something, but there was something going on that wasn't very consequential at times. Yeah. And it's kind of similar um, to Elantris, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Where, you know, you kind of have a little side mission and you're like, well, what did that really accomplish? And I think that kind of plays out more in some of the characters I don't care as much about. I think that hearing more about Ham, while I do enjoy Ham as a character and you hear, you know, about his family and stuff, you know, you go down to like the underground and he's like, yeah, so this is the underground where we let people in and out. And like, this is how I got my family out and stuff. And I was like, I don't really care about being down here. Like if it's not going to like directly get me somewhere. I mean, I guess it gets Ellen out of the city to go to the co-ops, but I didn't really care that much. Um, yeah. And things like that is, I guess, just, I guess it's at times it can be world building, like un- inconsequential world building as hell, but it. Hmm. Yeah, um, and fair. for my final like um, thing, I was going to say, you know, like a crew mentality, but that's kind of just piggybacking on this idea of character interaction. That hmm. final meeting. Oh my gosh. That was so good. It was, it was incredible. Definitely one of the best things I've read in a very long time. I, yeah, uh, I would say I the, the two best moments for what well, like what were the best moments for you? I would say two best for me was uh, the crew meeting and then the first bit with Zane. Yeah, I don't know if I can disagree with that. I would maybe throw in again. I thought every time we were in Breeze's head, I was enjoying it so much, and I wanted to learn more about Breeze. I want to I want a whole side story about Breeze and his upbringing and how he learned to use his powers for good. So yeah. I would say for other media, we'd probably say the same thing as last time, right? Yeah, like, I don't have much show would there. be good. Now, question, is this better than Final Empire or not? I would say uh, yes. I'm going to say hot take against your take, no. Okay. Uh, Explain. So my yes is that the characters are more developed. We feel like we have something with them. And also, sequels are hard. Uh Sequels are sequels are very hard to plot out and make, and especially one with a tonal shift like this one. Um, and I think while the intrigue might have lagged a little bit, and while some of the Vin Elland relationship might have had some problems, and you know the Coloss thing that I talked about, like yeah, there's a couple of those things. However, um, overall, I thought it really pushed the world forward. And the twist at the end, right? Like the twist at the end of Final Empire was amazing. But the twist at the end here completely turned on its head everything we've ever seen with the the progression fantasy buildup. And like, she did the right thing, you know, that we're used to. You give it up, you be selfless. 
and then that turned out to be wrong and that all the things that says had been reading it turned out to be manipulated like that was awesome and i think it perfectly set up the next book i felt like the end of final empire it very much felt like that could be the end of the story right there like you don't even go to a second book uh whereas this i feel like sets up the third book i think that's a super fair point uh for me i guess if i were to give you a reason why i liked it less than the first book is uh half the book is from ellen's perspective and if there's a character i'm not the biggest fan of i like ellen uh, but to have to hear half the story from him i did not care as much about ellen's story i thought that you know the dynamic of Ben and Kelsier throughout the first book was so good. I again, I would have much rather had Ben, and then maybe you know one fifth Ellen, one fifth Zane, one fifth Breeze. Like I would have much rather heard from other people more often mm. than Ellen himself. Because like I said, I think the, the parts that drag for me the most is definitely the instances with the political intrigue, and that's you know that's what surrounds Ellen the most. But I will say that the interactions with the crew and Ellen were great to see as well so and i did like to see him kind of grow up there and kind of come out of the shadow of kelsier him but growing up was him, really good yeah it was very well done um i that's uh that's i think that's fair i probably would still stick with my position but i think that's a fair argument uh where his parts definitely might have dragged a little bit more that being said i'm very excited for book three so we'll hopefully get to that soon what rating would you give this book chris Oh man, I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember what I gave Final Empire, but maybe half a point higher than Final Empire cuz I wouldn't say it's like incredibly better. Can't we like did we not write it down here? I don't think so. I start doing that. Uh, yeah. I'm going to give it either a A minus or a B plus. It's kind of hard like I think there are parts that like I I want to give it an A cuz of certain parts and there are parts where I'm like I'm giving it a B. But nothing really like lower than that. I like you said the writing is so good. And it's hard to give it anything lower than that, but I think in the end, I'll be all mixed. It'd probably be low A minus. Okay. I would say probably eight and a half. Again, I don't remember what I gave the first one. Like the ending is a 10. Absolutely incredible. I would also give the ending of Final Empire a 10, like the last act. Uh, I'd say the last act for both were incredible. I would say act two dragged a little bit and that, like you were saying, and that kind of brought it down. That's fair. But I agree with that. Uh, overall great book i think we're signing off i think that's it for this one thank you guys for listening and we'll catch you next time peace peace